Well, last week we talked about um, opposition to the mission, that there are going to be times in the Christian life, in the journey of discipleship, that there's going to be opposition, whether that's just people asking questions, um, people responding in a way that maybe we wouldn't appreciate, uh, all the way through John the Baptist who lost his life. Um, and kind of what we saw last week is sometimes things are going to be difficult, things are going to be challenging for believers in Christ. Now, today we're going to pick up the end of the same chapter, Mark chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll be starting around verse 32 uh, this morning in chapter 6. So if you're, you can turn there or open the YouVersion Bible app, you may have to search for us um, if you're a little further away than usual, but we should show up um, this morning for you to follow along. So the scriptures are always great because after they show us this uh, chain, essentially, of opposition and difficulty and potential rejection, this week they're actually going to show us how God provides, especially through Jesus, to be able to endure all of that and how even though things may be difficult, they're actually in our favor for that. And so we can see this morning that even if there's opposition, even if you feel inadequate, even if you feel like you're lacking in some area or something to be able to accomplish God's mission, or even as a church, if we feel like, hey, we just don't have the resources to be able to go the next level or to fulfill the mission that God has given us, we're going to see this morning that God provides no matter the circumstances. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, um, verses, we're going to start at 32, and we're going to go through um, the end of the chapter. So I'm going to read it all up front, and then we'll kind of go through it and hit the, the, the essential pieces as we uh, go through it in a minute. And so we'll start in verse 32. And this is the disciples and Jesus um, after they had just returned from being sent out. And this is what it says. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognized them. And they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted, and it is already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. And they said to him, Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And then he instructed them to have all the people sit in down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. And now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea, and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, because they all saw him and were terrified. 
Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were completely astounded, because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to the shore at Gennesaret and anchored there. And as they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried throughout the region and began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him that they might touch just the end of his robe, and everyone who touched it was healed. So what we're going to see this morning as we um, work our way through and kind of hit some of the the key things in this passage, we're going to see that Jesus provides compassion, he provides power, and he provides his presence. So that's what we're looking at this morning. So first we're going to see how Jesus provides compassion. So this is just after he sent out the disciples. Um, they've got, trying to get away after their journey. They're trying to rest. They're trying to recover. They're trying to get something to eat. But so many people are coming and going that they can't do that. So they decide to get in the boat and go to the other side. So essentially, they're trying to take a break. And so when they do this, um, they get to the other side, and the people ran ahead of them and were already there. And then we see verse 34 says this, And when he went ashore, he saw the large crowd and had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them many things. And so when Jesus sees them, he responds with compassion, even though they're trying to get a break. They're trying to rest. They're trying to recover from being sent out um, to kind of gather together as a group, maybe debrief what's happening, talk about the stories they have seen. But when the people show up there, Jesus doesn't try to send them away. He doesn't say, I'm sorry, I'm busy. You're going to have to come back later. No, he looks at them and he has compassion, right? He responds with compassion that you can't interrupt Jesus. But the question I had when I read this was, How can he just look at them and see they look like sheep without a shepherd? Like, how do you look at a group of people and say, man, this group is just like sheep without a shepherd? And what does that mean? So we're going to talk about that for a minute. Um, One of the ways I think they could see, he could see that they were like sheep without a shepherd is the very fact that when they left in the boat, the people ran from where they were around the outside of the sea, of the lake, to get where they were before them. Now, anyone who would run that far, that fast, to be able to beat a boat across the sea is looking for something. They are searching for something. Something is missing in their life, and they think that whoever is in this boat, this time it's Jesus, is able to answer that question to help provide for them what they think is missing. So I think part of the answer is, they were willing to run. They were looking for leadership. They were looking for answers. Something was missing. And I think it's important just for us to understand and get a kind of a great, a better picture of this phrase is to look where it shows up in other places in Scripture. So one of the first places it shows up is actually in Numbers chapter 27. This is number, and what's happening in Numbers 27 is Moses is kind of ending his um, leadership over the, tri- the tribe and nation of Israel. 
Um, they have escaped Egypt. They have traveled through the wilderness. They're on the edge of entering the promised land. But because of some things Moses and the people did along the way, Moses is not going to be able, not allowed to enter the promised land. So this is what Moses said in verses 15 in this moment. He said, So Moses appealed to the Lord. May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all, appoint a man over the community who will go out before them and come back in before them and who will bring them out and bring them in so that the Lord's community won't be like sheep without a shepherd. So Moses knew his time was over. He pleads with God, look, they need someone to lead them, to show them where to go, to show them when to leave, to show them where to camp, to lead them in the direction that you want them to go. If you don't give them a leader, they're going to be like sheep without a shepherd. They're going to essentially be scattered. They're not going to know what to do. Then we see it again in Exodus chapter 34, or in Ezekiel chapter 34. Sorry about that. Um, 34 verses 4 and 5. This is uh, Ezekiel the prophet speaking God's words to the people, basically saying the leaders that God has given Israel have failed in their duties. They are not being shepherds. And this is what it says. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for a lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. Right? This is a summary of what the leaders of Israel were doing, or really what they weren't doing. They were not leading, and they were not shepherding the people. So people without a shepherd are wandering. They're scattered. They're uh, lost. They're in danger. And so they're on their own, and that's why they needed compassion. They're doing the best they can, but when they're on their own, it just doesn't work. And that's also why we need a shepherd. We need someone to lead us, to guide us, to protect us, because we are often like sheep without a shepherd as well. We are searching for something. Even if you're a believer, I think oftentimes we say, hey, if I can just get this one thing, then I'll be fulfilled, then I'll be happy, then I'll have everything I need. Whether that's losing a certain amount of weight, whether that's getting a new job, whether that's getting a new video game or a new teacher or a new school or whatever it may be, we may say, hey, this will make life better and it will be more fulfilling. We're just searching for something or we're wandering, right? We're looking for something. It feels like something is missing in our life or like things should be better and we hit this ceiling in our careers or in our marriages or with our kids and we think it just should be better than this, but it's not. There's something missing in this. There's something better out there, and I need to find it. Or maybe you're look, you still haven't found what you're looking for, right? You're looking for maybe a purpose or how to make a difference, and you're asking, how can I make a difference at my stage of life, whether you're young and single, whether you're married with no kids, whether you have kids, or whether you're retired. You're saying, how can God use me in this moment? I'm tired or I'm busy or my kids take up all my time or I'm not able to get out as much as I used to. Like, how can God use me in this moment? We need 
compassion because I think we're doing the best we can on our own, but I think we all understand on our own strength, in our own way, we just can't accomplish what we want to accomplish. So how does Jesus show us compassion? How does he lead us like a shepherd? Well, part of the answer is a few verses down in Ezekiel 34, which we read just a minute ago. And it says this, in starting in verse 11 of Ezekiel 34. For this is what the Lord God says, See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own soil. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the inhabited places on the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains. There they will lie down in a good grazing place. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, and strengthen the weak. I will shepherd them with justice. God is saying he will bring his people back. He will bring his flock, his sheep who are scattered who are weak, who are wounded, who are in danger. He will bring them back all together. And Jesus is fulfilling this now as the great shepherd. He has come to bring his people, those who would follow him, who would serve him, who would love him. He is gathering them together in his flock. And he is caring for them. And he is providing for them. He is giving them strength, and he is giving them health, and he is giving them food, and he's leading them down the right path, and he's protecting them from danger, and he's guiding them in the way they should go and providing the blessings and resources that they need to live. Christ is treating us with compassion as his shepherd. He doesn't judge us or say, hey, you've messed up too many times, so you're out of the flock. No, he gathers us back together no matter how many times we wander off. He brings us back. He has compassion on us, and he desires to see us become a part of his flock. He is gathering his people to himself. He is rescuing us from the danger of sin and death, of going our own way and rebelling against God. He's treating us with compassion because we're doing our best, but on our own, it just isn't good enough. And Jesus provides compassion because that's what we need, right? We don't need a pep talk or a life coach or a new life stage or a new career, but we need compassion and grace and mercy that comes through Christ. He gives compassion because he realizes we need help. We're wandering around on our own and we're in danger. And after he teaches for a while, uh, most of the day it says it's growing late, and the di- disciples say, um, hey, um, we got a lot of people here. It's getting late in the day. I think it's time to kind of wrap up the teaching and send them home so that they can go, or send them to the villages so that they can get something to eat. Now, I think this is a great instinct from the disciples. They're saying, hey, we can't feed all these people. They need to eat, or we're going to start running into trouble. 
Um, so they, I think it was a great instinct to care for the people. They just didn't want to do it themselves, which is where Jesus is going to challenge them a little bit. And so Jesus responds, you give them something to eat. The, the you in this sentence is very emphatic. So he's saying, why don't you feed them? You need to do it. Right? He doesn't just solve the problem for them immediately and say, okay, let's send them away or I'll take care of it. No, he says, you. He's trying to teach them something, which is true for us a lot of the time. God is always trying to teach us something. So when, maybe when things don't go quite the way we thought they would or the answer to our prayers isn't quite what we think it is, we should continually look for what is God trying to show me? What is God trying to teach us here? And then basically their response um, you can definitely read this with sarcasm um, of, oh, should we just spend 200 denarii and go buy food for everybody? Um, the reason why this is a little sarcastic is uh, the amount of money they're talking about is eight months of wages. And so for us, that would be tens of thousands of dollars to say, should we just go spend all of this money and feed all of these people? Well, we don't have that much money. If you remember just a minute ago, um, in last week's sermon, he said, don't take any money with you and don't... Do, that God will provide for you. And so it's in the same thing. And so they made a cal- the disciples made a calculation of what they had and what was around them and the situation and just said, hey, we can't do anything about this. We don't have the money for that. But Jesus is trying to teach them. He's trying to prepare them. He's trying to get them to look to him to provide. But instead of seeing Jesus as the one who could provide, they made a calculation And they calculated the cost of the food and and concluded they couldn't pay for it. And I think we want the same thing as the disciples sometimes, right? We want somebody else to solve the problem. If Jesus can just come in and give me the answer or make somebody be nice to me or give me the new thing that I want or answer my prayer immediately and give me the resources that I need to survive. Or we want quick, easy, perfect answers, perfect solutions to our problems that just they're solved like that and it's super easy. But if we get all of our problems solved immediately and Jesus swoops in every time, then we never learn anything. We never grow. And so I wonder for us, what calculations have you made, have we made, and decided that it's not possible? Have you looked around at our church and said, maybe we're, we're too small, or we don't have enough resources, or we can't do this because of all those things? Have we made that calculation? Or maybe your spiritual growth of you're just saying, well, I'm too tired, or I can't see as well to be able to read, or all of these limitations, so I just am going to keep doing what I'm doing, and I'm not going to stretch myself at all. Or maybe evangelism. I don't know anybody that doesn't know Christ or they don't listen to me or I don't know what to say or I don't know how to engage them. And so we just make that calculation and say, I just can't do it. It's just not there. But Jesus' response to them and this answer of their calculating and saying, we just can't do this, says, what do you have? And I think Jesus is trying to help them see a couple of things here. One is that He's trying to show them that they are actually right. They don't have the ability to meet this need. They don't have what they need. It's beyond what they can do. He wanted them to feel their inadequacy. This ministry to the people of meeting their needs called for something that they didn't have. But secondly, notice he's also using what they have. He's not saying, 
Um, he's going to go get it on his own or say, go buy what you can. He takes what they have and he's going to use what they have to meet the needs of the people. So even what they have, what they have may not be enough, but what we have is enough when Jesus is involved. And so he divides them into groups of fifties and hundreds, and makes them sit all around the grass. He blesses the food, looking up to heaven, and he begins to pass it out. But notice how he does it. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't do it himself. He hands it to the disciples. He has the disciples pass the food out to the people. And so he works in his power in the bread and loaves and multiplies them and then sends it out through the disciples. And then they have leftovers when they collect everything back together. And so Jesus took what the disciples have. He served, the, he served it to the people through the disciples to meet the needs of the people. Jesus used the disciples as his servants of conduits of his power and his provision. Right? It's another lesson of discipleship. Yes, Jesus could do it on his own. He could solve this problem in an instant. But he chooses to use his followers, whether it's disciples or whether it's us, his servants, to meet the needs of others and continue to make disciples. And so they fed 5,000 men. This doesn't include the women and children. So there was easily 10 or 15,000 people in this crowd. And so what we see through this is that Jesus provides his power for the disciples. He is demonstrating again that he is powerful, that he is indeed the Son of God. But this time his power works through the disciples to meet the needs and serve the people. He took what the disciples had and he did something amazing through it. He wants the disciples not just to focus on what they have, but what Christ can do through what you have. He has the power and the provision to meet the need. And so to focus on Jesus as the source of power rather on your own resources or your own ability. To focus on the giver, not just the gift. Because he provides what we need to meet the needs of ministry and life. And he takes the disciples who feel helpless to help this crowd and he empowers them. Right, to bring an abundance that cares for and meets the needs of the people. And he teaches them, or at least tries to teach them, what Jesus can do through them. And so what we learn here is that there is no scarcity when Jesus is involved. Even though we, what we have in whatever area that may be, whether it's our, our church or our life or our bank account or whatever it is, may not seem like enough, but we shouldn't rely just on our own resources or our own efforts to make it happen. We need to lean on the power of God and not just trust in our own efforts. So Jesus, after doing this miracle, he puts the disciples in a boat and he sends them across the other side and he stays behind um, and he goes up um, to pray by himself. Just as a side note, uh, Mark only records three times where he does this, where he goes by himself to pray. One is at the beginning of his ministry, um, one is here, and then the third time is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so this is a significant event for Jesus to go and pray in this moment. And so then it says Jesus prays and then he sees them out in the water and they're straining at the oars. They've been trying to get the other side. The wind is in their face. And so they're straining. They're not getting very far. But Jesus sees them and he begins to walk out to them. 
And then we get this verse in verse 48 where it says, Jesus was walking and he wanted to pass them by. He wanted to pass by them on the water. But my immediate question was, well, what does that mean? He just wanted to pass them by. Does that mean he didn't want them to see him? He just wanted to show up on the other side and they would assume that he went around the long way? Or did he want to just leave them on their own? Or maybe he just didn't want to help them. Maybe he just wanted to take a break. I, I thought maybe, hey, those are the answers. But as I looked into this, everything that I read about this, almost every commentary I looked at said the exact same thing. This is a callback to Exodus chapter 33. So what's happening in Exodus chapter 33 is Moses is talking to God. Um, he's essentially saying, hey, if you don't go with God, if you don't go with us, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leading the Israelites anywhere. We're not moving unless you go with us. And God says, okay, I'll go with you. And then Moses makes a request. And he says, God, will you show me your glory? And God says, well, you can't see my face because anyone who sees my face essentially dies. Um, so you're not going to be able to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you. And you're going to be in kind of the crevice and a crack in the rocks. And I'm going to put my hand over you. And then I'm going to pass by before you. And then after I pass by, I will move over my hand and you will be able to see my glory. You'll be able to see my back as I pass through. And so what's happening in that is that God is revealing his presence to Moses of saying, look, I am here. I am, yes, I am just passing by, but me passing by is reminding you that I am here, that I will go with you, that the Israelites will have a leader in God to, to direct them in where they're going in the desert. And so what Jesus is doing here is exactly the same thing. He's passing by, just like God passed by Moses. He's reminding them that he is with them. Even though they might feel like they're on their own, they're in the boat, they're struggling, they're having trouble, that Jesus is with them. Right? If you remember the last time the disciples were in a boat, there was a big storm. Jesus was on it, but he was asleep. And the disciples freak out and say, hey, what's happening? We're all going to die. Jesus, wake up. And then he calms the storm. So this time there isn't a storm, but they find themselves in distress because they feel like they are alone. And so Jesus passes by to remind them that they, even though they think they are alone, they are not. So what they thought was a ghost, what they thought was something to be afraid of, was Jesus reminding them that he was with them. His passing by is a divine act of reassurance that met the disciples at their point of desperation. So it may seem like you are on your own. It may seem like you are struggling against the water on your own, but you aren't. He is there don't be afraid, have courage. Jesus is here. He provides his presence. Jesus is with us, even if we feel like he's passing us by or ignoring us or not paying attention. He is there. Right? What he wanted them to see was that he was with them. He just demonstrated his power. But then when he gets in the boat, this is what we see in verses 51 and 52. And then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were completely astounded. 
because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. So they were astounded by what happened and what Jesus was doing because they didn't understand about the loaves. So how do those two things connect together? How does misunderstanding what happened with the feeding of the 5,000 result in their desperation and fear? What was it that they missed that they didn't understand? Well, they missed his power. They missed that Jesus had the power to multiply the food that they had. They did not connect the Jesus who was with them with who he really was, that he was the true son of God. The feeding of the 5,000 wasn't just a one-time thing that Jesus did, one-time demonstration of his power. And that power was, but it was a, a, a ongoing thing. At this point, they've seen him, right? They've seen him calm the storm. They've seen him heal a ton of people. They've seen him uh, bring dead people back to life. They've just seen him feed 5,000 people with a, a, a handful of food, but they still didn't connect the dots that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And so Jesus is just saying, look, I'm here with you. You've got to understand. And this, this moment right here, the feeding of the 5,000, is actually brought up later in Mark as a reminder that the disciples didn't understand. They still didn't get it, even though they had all of this evidence before them. They still weren't quite connecting the dots. And Jesus, just to prove again that he had the power, that he had the ability, that he was able to save, that he was able to provide, that his presence was there. He does, and then once they get to the other side, they come to the shore, and he just, everybody who's there begins to bring in people, and he just heals them over and over and over again. Lots and lots of people become healed. So his power is confirmed in the healings. They recognize them, and he heals them. This is a stark contrast to what we saw just last week in his hometown where he couldn't heal anybody because of their unbelief. Here there is faith and belief, and his power is on display as a reminder of who he is, that he is the powerful, true, sovereign creator and son of God. And so we, as a people, are only lost when we try on our own. Jesus sees us and responds with compassion. Like a loving parent, he sees we are struggling and he comes and he treats us with compassion. He comes to help us, not judging, not frustrated, but full of love and care. He comes to rescue us, to provide for us, to guide us. And remind us that we are not limited by our resources or our talents. If we are connected to Jesus, he can do anything through us. No matter what we think of who we are or what we have, if we feel inadequate, if we feel fearful, if our calculations keep showing us coming up short, we don't have to worry. Jesus will provide. He is the source of salvation and the source of power if we are connected to him when we have access to the source through the cross. And we are not alone. We only feel alone. Jesus is with us even when we feel like he's passing us by. 
right? He isn't doing, he isn't leaving us on our own. He might be teaching us to trust him, to lean into him, to believe that he is the sovereign creator, that he is capable of walking on water, of multiplying bread and fish, and providing that all that we need, and he is here with us. So Jesus, in this passage, provides for us his compassion, his power, and his presence. And he also, God also provides for us in the sacrifice of his son who comes on the cross, who knew that we were sheep without a shepherd, that we needed to be rescued. We were scattered, we were lost, we needed purpose, we needed direction, we needed saving. And so we sent Jesus to be our shepherd to come and to live a perfect life and to die in our place on the cross to take the penalty for our sins, for our rebellion, for our turning away from him so that we could have life. He provided the sacrifice for our sins in his flesh. And he also provided the path to redemption that as we believe in him, as we trust in him, as we give our lives over to him, we could be redeemed, we could be restored, we could be brought into God's family. He provided entrance into the kingdom of God, into the family of God, through the chief shepherd who gave his life for his sheep. So this morning, no matter where we're at or what's going on in the world around us, we can remember that Jesus is with us. We are not alone. He provides for us. He has the power to use us to do mighty things. Right? This book of Mark that we're talking about, it's Jesus and 12 disciples who did something in three years that changed the entire course of history. Right? And so God can do anything through a group of people who seek to follow him who continuously rely and lean into him and to his power and to his understanding and his grace and his mercy and say, it's not what I have or what I'm capable of doing or what I've calculated or what I think can happen, but it's what God can do through me. It's what God can do through us. So let us trust in God and lean into him and his power and his presence. We guys pray with me this morning. God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that you do provide for us, that you help us to see your presence, see your power that you demonstrated again and again and again, and not just in Scripture or in the Bible in old times, but in our lives. You provide for us again and again and again. So God, help us to remember the times that you've provided, that you've been there, that you've blessed us, that you've met our needs, so that we can remember that you are with us. You give us compassion, you give us love, you give us care, you give us grace, you give us mercy. And that it's through the, the sacrifice of your son that there became a, a fountain of grace and of mercy and of love through what he had done that saved us so that we could take whatever we had, which wasn't much, and we could essentially trade it in and say, this is all I've got. But you rescue us and you love us and you exchange our weak, dirty, even rebellious ways for love and grace and mercy and righteousness, that you give us more than we ever deserve. 
And because of that, we should have joy and hope and power and expectation that you will work in us and through us, that you will change us. You will renew us. You will give us strength. You will give us purpose. And you will be with us every step of the way. So help us to trust in you and to remember that you will provide. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you.